chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 40. As you are uh, turning there in your Bibles, um, let's catch you up. Uh, those of us who haven't been here in a while or haven't caught any of this series at all, we're, we're actually working through the book of Acts. And so Acts is the second part of a two-volume work by uh, Luke. Now, Luke is known as the beloved physician. He was a doctor uh, who uh, accompanied Paul on some of his missionary work. He wrote both works uh, to a person named Theophilus. We don't know exactly who Theophilus was, except for he was a, a, a high-ranking, a noble person. And Luke wanted to lay out for him basically the movement of Jesus. In part one, it said it was all that Jesus began to say and do. Now, that's interesting that it says began to say and do because, I mean, pretty much you get to the beginning of Acts and Jesus is gone. He ascends. And so what Luke is saying is this is the first part of Jesus' work, but it's not all of Jesus' work. The second part you're about to see as he sends the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus uh, gathers his disciples, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. But wait until the coming of the promised one. And so the Spirit comes upon Pentecost, and we celebrate Pentecost every year. We'll be In two weeks from now, we'll be celebrating that season, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes... 3,000 souls are saved that day, and the church begins to grow. We read every chapter, the Lord added daily. And the Lord kept growing and adding, and people were getting saved. God's work was moving, began in Jerusalem, and then started to go to, to Samaria and, and to the outward areas of Judea, and, and things were uh, moving along. Now, that doesn't mean that it was all fun and games, that it was all easy. Uh, there was persecution, there was trials uh, there was difficulties, and even uh, with Stephen, uh, there was martyrdom. He was the first martyr, but uh, many, many followed. And even today, there are people who give their life for their faith in Jesus Christ. But it wasn't even just all outward issues going on. Uh, the, the Bible is very honest and open, and it describes the inward issues of the church. It describes a, a man, uh, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the church and they both uh, died uh, because of their lying to the Holy Spirit. And the, the Bible doesn't, doesn't exclude that ugly little part about how there were some people who wanted to be dishonest, but it put it there as an example for us. And then we see later on that there's a, an issue where well, here's one group of widows and here's another group of widows, and we're supposed to be taking care of all of them, but this one doesn't feel like it's getting treated like this one. And they had to deal with that. And then even later on in Acts chapter 15, there was another big issue in the church where some people were saying, hey, all of you people, see the, the church had started to spread outside just Jewish folks, Gentiles, that's folks like most of us, people, non-Jewish people, they were hearing the gospel and they were accepting it. And so a controversy came up because one group said, well, they need to become good Jews first, get circumcised, follow all the rules, and then they can become good Christians. And the other side, Paul and Barnabas and others said, no way, that's not the way it is. People can come straight to the Lord. They don't have to become a Jew before they can become a Christian. And that issue got settled in Acts chapter 15. And so there were ups and downs. There were pressures from outside and inside the church. But yet things were moving forward in the Holy Spirit. It never paints a perfect early church. 
Sometimes we romanticize, and we, oh, if we could just be like the early church, and we pretend like they had no problems. They had their problems, but you know what? They had God on their side. Jesus, who began to do and say, was continuing to do and say through the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And so we come to this point in the book of Acts where we are today, and this is what's known as Paul's second missionary journey. He had just begun this journey. He had traded partners. He was, he was with Barnabas on the first trip. Now Silas is with him on this trip. And they began to go back to some of the old churches with their, they had visited before. And this was all in the area of Turkey. And they were going to go one way. And God, the Bible says the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go that way. And, and, and now it doesn't describe for us how that happened. Was it a vision? Was it a dream? Was it an audible voice? We don't know. But we know the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go that way. And they tried to go another way, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go that way. So they end up on the coast of Turkey uh, just across the water uh, from Greece, uh, the northern part of Greece called Macedonia. And they're like, what do we do now? And Paul has a vision from a man from Macedonia who says, come help us. And so they talk about it, and they agree this is God's way of sending them uh, across to this new place. And so that's where we pick up the story. If you would please stand with me now as we read Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And from the next day, we reached Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought some people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women and, who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. And they've come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed around Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! 
Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran down to the dungeon and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in the household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, The city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out of the city and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. They met with the believers and encouraged them once more, and then they left town. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this remarkable um, adventure uh, in Philippi, what you did through Paul and Silas and the others who accompanied them. Lord God, we pray that you would uh, take the example of these people and, Father, that you would use it in our lives to help us to trust you more. And, God, we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I want to ask you a question this morning. And uh, you don't have to answer it out loud, but I do want you to answer it at least mentally. And the question is, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Uh, we live in a world where trust is in short supply. Uh, news agencies and investment businesses and all sorts of other places say, you can trust us, we're balanced, we're fair, we're reliable. And yet if you poll the, the general American society, we're not very trusting of many people or institutions these days, whether they're political or financial. There's really a, a lack of trust and that really even filters down to the level of uh, we, don't, uh, we don't trust so much our fellow man. Uh, we, we lack trust a lot of times. And sometimes even that uh, ends up in our relationship with God. Many, many times I have, um, I've talked with people and, and they're going through a difficult situation, maybe a temptation and something they, they really, you know, uh, they want to do, but they know it's not right, but their flesh is tempting them and they're like, Oh, but it's so hard. Or, or people who are trying to believe because they've gone through tough times and, and they're trying to keep on believing. And, and it's so hard to trust. And so often people will say to me, and you've heard this as well, if you only knew my situation, if you only knew my circumstance, if you knew my story, you wouldn't be telling me to trust. You would, you would know that I just can't, that it's too hard. Well, the reality is uh, we all have individual circumstances and situations in our life that we come up against. But uh, there are so many examples in Scripture 
of people in different walks of life, how they trust in Jesus, how they have reason to and room to, and how God comes through for them, how God works in their life. And so I just want to think this morning about how we can trust. You see, all of us just sang a few minutes ago, part of that last song, Spirit, lead me to a place where my trust is without borders. And that's where you and I want to be, a place where we don't trust God just a little, just enough to get us to heaven or just enough that, yes, he's up there. But we get to a place in our life where our trust of God is without borders, that we trust him wholly and completely. So let's talk about the people, the men and women that we see in this story. The first one we encounter is a woman named Lydia. Lydia is, uh, she's well off. The Bible says she's a seller of purple. Now, that, that doesn't mean anything to us today. I mean, well, she could be a seller of pink or of neon green. Well, so what, you know? But back then, that meant something. A seller of purple uh, was somebody who was dealing in high-dollar goods. Uh, purple was rare. It was a color of nobility. And if you were a dealer of purple, that meant you were a pretty capable uh, person. And we, we believe that she's either widowed or divorced because there's no mention of a husband at all in this story. But here she is as a single woman, uh, but with a large household. And a household in that day would have included uh, workers, servants, other dependent family. She's got a large household. She's the breadwinner. She's leading them. And she's apparently very successful in what she does. And in fact, uh, but those, those riches and that success were not enough for her. Because this woman, who was a Gentile, she realized, you know, all these gods and goddesses, all this stuff, the, the Greek and Roman and, and all these other uh, pagan religions, there's really nothing to them. There's, there's, there's something missing. And so she heard about the Jews because they proclaimed something different. Instead of this vast pantheon of gods, they said there's one true God, Jehovah. He is the one true God. And, and, and this God was a God of love, but also a God of justice. And this God appealed to her as she was looking for something more. And so she, she uh, went in with this group of Jews. Now, it's interesting. The story tells us that when, when Paul and uh, Silas get to the city of Philippi, uh, they, uh, they go on the Sabbath day uh, down to a place of prayer by the river. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you remember, well, this is a little different. Because usually their strategy, and they did have a strategy, it was to find the synagogue in a local town where the Jews were, the people who already knew about all the Old Testament stuff about God, and say, hey, that Messiah who was promised, he's here now. And they would usually go to a synagogue and tell those Jews. Well, apparently this town was not even big enough. There were not enough Jews, uh, at least, to have a synagogue. Because kind of the general rule in the ancient world is you need to have 10 adult males. 10 men or more could form the basis of a synagogue. But there wasn't enough there, apparently, in this place. And so those who followed the God of the Jews, if they couldn't yet build a synagogue, they would have a place of prayer. And oftentimes, as was this case, the place of prayer would be down by the water. So this was outside the city and down by the closest river. 
So Paul and Silas go down there to this group of, of believers. Some of them were Jews, some of them were like Lydia, and they were Gentiles who, who had not uh, fully become Jews. Those would be proselytes, but Lydia was what was known as a God-fearer. Uh, she, she worshipped the God of the Jews, even though she had not become a full Jew. And she was there, and she heard that day Paul and Silas were preaching. And for Lydia, the one who said, there's got to be more to this life, and, and, and she, she found out about this God of the Jews, and she began worshiping. But something within her sense, there was even more. There was something more to know about God. And when she heard the message of Paul and Silas, she said, this is that thing. This is what I've been missing. This is that more that I have been waiting for. And so she, uh, she believes. The Bible says not only she, but she was so influential over her whole family that they all, her whole household, uh, it, they all believed. And they were baptized uh, soon afterward. And actually, just as a sign of her faith, she said, Look, if you really count me as a true believer, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, all those who are with, y'all come and stay at my house. They'd been staying in some inn, and it probably wasn't the best place in the world. And she says, you need to come. And remember, she was a well-off woman. She had a house big enough uh, to accommodate these guests. And she says, y'all come. Stay with us. And so we see first this example of Lydia, someone who loves God already but wants even more, realizes there's something more in my life. I could get closer to God. If you're in that place, then Lydia is the example for you. You can trust him to draw even closer to him. The next person we see in this story is a, a young slave girl. Uh, we don't know much about her other than uh, she was possessed by a spirit. And most of your Bible translations will say something like uh, a spirit of clairvoyance or a, a spirit of divination. It literally, in the Greek, it says a python spirit. And that goes to some ancient Greek mythology about the Oracle of Delphi. If you ever studied any about those old ancient religions, uh, the pagan religions, supposedly the Oracle of Delphi is where you could go and get your fortune told. And it was guarded by this uh, snake known as a python snake who was supposedly uh, was, uh, interacted with the god Apollo. Well, all that, all that to say, in this day, when someone had, was possessed of a spirit, a demonic spirit that would allow them to tell the future, it was called a python spirit. And that's what this woman had, a python spirit within her. Now, you might say, well, uh, you know, that demonic stuff sounds really bad, but she had it made. She could go tell the future and do whatever. No, uh, she was, this woman was a victim. She was victimized not only by the demon who possessed her, but also by powerful men who controlled her. They used her, gave her as little as possible, and they used her to make vast profit, vast financial gain off of this woman. And the Bible says that when she saw Paul and Silas in the city, she started following them around, saying, These men, they tell about the Most High God. They're servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. Now, the first time they heard her say that, that probably sounded pretty good. But this woman kept repeating it over and over and over. You know, and that could get annoying. 
You know what kids do? Stop copying me. Stop copying me. You know, someone keeps repeating something over and over. It can get really old. And several days, this woman followed around Paul and Silas, saying, These men, they're servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. Now, first of all, the people, that, that's a true message because the way that we would understand it is, okay, the God of the Bible is the Most High God. And the way of salvation, well, we know about what Jesus did for us to provide salvation. But the people of the city wouldn't have really known that because they sometimes referred to Zeus as the Most High God. And salvation could come in many forms. And in the ancient world, that's what they thought. And most of all, I don't think Paul liked for, uh, to be hearing this out of a demon. And the Bible says that he looked and, and he spoke not to her. It says, spoke to the demon and said, be gone. In the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. And cast that spirit out. This woman was now free from the spirit that had controlled her life. Maybe you're in a situation in your life where you have been bullied, beat up, used, abused, controlled by some other people. And you wonder what in the world God can do for you. What, how can God possibly help you? If there's a good God, why am I going through all this? What's going on? And so you might be able to relate to the story of this young woman. And she was given relief. Uh, she was rescued by God. That spirit, that unclean spirit that controlled her was cast out. You know, you and I, when we're in dark places, and sometimes we, we realize we can't get out of certain circumstances or situations in our life. But you know, the greatest freedom that we can have is an inner peace and an inner freedom. The spirit was gone, but she still belonged to those new men. But that external slavery was nothing compared to the internal slavery that she had faced. You see, you and I can be uh, completely free on the inside, even if we're not free on the outside. We can learn that because of what happened later. You see, these two men, remember I told you, they, they didn't care anything about her or for her. They just used her. And the Bible says that as soon as they realized what had happened, the spirit was cast out. There was no more fortune telling, which meant there was no more money to be made. And these men who cared nothing about the oppression of this girl as she was demonized, they cared nothing about that. They only cared about their money. They were enraged. And so they took uh, Paul and Silas, and they rushed them before the magistrates of the city. They went down to the Agora, the marketplace, and there there would be a, a, a raised platform, uh, the Bema in Greek. It's, we talk about the judgment seat of Christ. A raised platform. Well, there was a judgment seat in every city where the, the officials would sit and they sat there and they accused. They said, these men, these Jews, they're telling us what we Romans shouldn't do. Now, they conveniently left out, well, we're mad because we're losing money because that wasn't a, uh, an offense. There was no law against that. So they drum up racism anti-Semitic type of feelings, nationalistic type of feelings. We good Romans, these bad Jews. 
Even in that day, there was a hatred of Jews among many people. And they said, we Romans, we know what we ought to do. But these Jews, they're stirring up the town. They're causing problems. And Rome was all about one thing, about control and stability. And they didn't like anybody who caused problems. And so the, the Bible tells us that Paul and Silas, it seems they had even no chance to defend themselves, no chance to make any remarks uh, in their innocence. They were just taken with rods and beaten severely. And they ordered the jailer, take this, these men and put them in the safest, securest place possible. Put them in jail. The Bible tells us that night, the jailer took them to the innermost, the most secure part of the jail, and, and he put their feet in stocks. You know, some of uh, you maybe have been to old historical places where they've got the stocks, and uh, I've been to one of those places where they had the old-time stocks, and I think me and my kids all put our, you know, put our hands through and our head through, and you take funny pictures. But it wasn't funny back then when it was real. Uh, they were already beaten, bloody, bruised, open wounds, and they were put in these stocks to make it even worse. And you would think that at that point, they would say, Paul, this Christian stuff is just enough. You're right, Silas. This, this is over. I mean, I, this, is the, this is the breaking point for me. It's the last straw. But that's not what they did. Because even though they were in shackles on the outside, in their hearts, they were free. And they began to sing and they began to praise the Lord. And the Bible said that the prisoners, the other prisoners, that they were all listening. They were all enraptured. Now, I don't know if they were good, you know, as good as what we just heard, you know. I mean, it's easy to get enraptured, but maybe they had a little uh, harmony and melody and whatever going on. I don't know. But even if their notes weren't all that great, the heart came through. Because everybody in here, the rest of these people who were in there because of their own wrongdoing, were looking at these guys who'd done no wrong. Says, how do they praise God? How do they keep this joy? How do they keep on loving their God? They'd all heard the stories had all gone around about this, uh, the, the girl who told everybody's future, who prophesied, and she said, these are servants of the Most High God. They all knew about that. And now they're like, wow, something is going on with these people. Something makes them different because of the God they worship. Because none of us are praising God, even though we did wrong. They did no wrong. They're beaten, they're bloody, they're bruised, and yet they're singing God's praises. What's going on with them? And the Bible says that God sent an earthquake. And this was a very localized and a very special, uh, a miraculous earthquake because what it did not only shook the place, but it opened the prisoners' doors and, and it unchained them from their chains. The prison guard wakes up and he sees all the doors open and the Bible says he took his sword and he's about to kill himself. And some of us are saying, well, that's extreme. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a bad day at the office, but are you going to kill yourself? Well, you got to understand the way things went back then. You see, if you are a jailer, if you are in, uh, uh, in charge of someone in custody, if you let them go, then you had to pay the penalty uh, that they were supposed to pay. And so this jailer, when he sees the doors wide open, he says, all these prisoners are gone. 
I'm going to be tortured slowly. I'm going to be put through terrible pain, and I'm going to die. And he was ready to end his life. And Paul calls out, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. You know, that's what anybody who's considering taking their life needs to hear. They need to realize that there's hope. And if there's any of you today who come to that point where your life seems hopeless and pointless and you see no way out, there is a way. You may be blind to it. You may not see it, but there is hope. And Paul let this man know there's hope. Don't kill yourself. We're all still here. It's going to be all right. And he comes before them. He falls on his knees. Can you imagine this? The prison warden, so to speak, falls before the prisoners and says, what must I do to be saved? When he said saved, did he understand completely uh, you know, everything about the theology of what that meant? He hadn't been to seminary. He'd never heard of Jehovah God. He'd never been to Sunday school. I don't think he completely understood, but he knew this. He knew his life was missing something. He tried to be a good guy. He tried to follow the rules. He earned a living for his family. He tried to do what he was supposed to do, and yet he found himself, no matter what he tried to do for, to be right, things wrong kept happening. And he said, there's something wrong with me because I'm putting my hope and my trust, and if I live the right way, then my life will be the right way, and that's not working out, and I need somebody to save me from this mess. What can I do to be saved? He's asking this of men who are bloody, beaten prisoners. But he understands that they've got something inside them that he needs. And the Bible records that Paul and Silas say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And he took those words to heart and his household took those words to heart. Everybody in his family unit, they all trusted in Jesus Christ. Pulled him out of that jail, said, you got to come to my house. My family's got to hear about this. I'm going to clean your wounds. I want them to hear the gospel. They all hear. They all respond. They even, they're so excited. They don't even wait a few days. Right then and there, hey, there's some water that I'm using to clean you up. Can we use this water? And I want to be baptized. And they're baptized right then and there. And so maybe you can relate to this jailer today. Because you've tried to do things right, and you've tried to do things right, and you've tried to do things, and yet things go wrong. And the system, the belief system in your head says, if I do this, then this good thing will happen. But just like that jailer, you've realized life doesn't work that way. And you're like, at a moment of despair, now what? You can look to Jesus and understand there is something greater, more hopeful to look forward to. Because it's not about this silly system of do good and get good. It's about trusting Jesus. And that he is with us to give us peace, hope, and faith. No matter whether the things around us are good or bad. He's with us through every path that we take. The story, uh, the story ends with the folks, the magistrates, they send a message. Ah, they've suffered enough. Or maybe they got a little bit nervous because of the earthquake and they knew these were servants of the Most High God. And um, I said, let them out. Tell them, to, tell them to scurry out of town and you know, don't let the door hit them on the way out. 
And Paul says, oh, no, <laughs> that's, that's not the way this is going to go down. Uh, by the way, you people didn't even stop to check and listen, but me and Silas, we're Roman citizens. And we're not running out of town shamefully. You guys are the one that did something shameful. And you're going to come down here and you're going to escort us out as we are honored guests. And then maybe we'll think about leaving the city. You see, the magistrates, the officials had assumed that these lowly Jews would not be Roman citizens. Well, what, what's the difference? There was two systems of government, of justice in that day. The Roman Empire was spread far and wide, but only a small percentage of the citizens were actually, uh, or of the people were actually Roman citizens. The rest of them, you could say, were there on a green card, or they were there, you know, they, they were working, they were in the empire, but they didn't have all the rights and privileges. And one of the most important things you did not do, you could beat and, and, and torture and do whatever to somebody who wasn't a citizen. But a Roman citizen, you better give them a fair trial. You better not beat them. You better treat them right. And Paul said, you didn't do any of this stuff. And so you're going to come down here. And you're going to treat us with honor and respect now. Now, why did Paul do that? Because Paul was not normally the kind of guy who went around sticking up, well, here's my right, here's my right, here's my right. He used his rights as a citizen when necessary, but he was leaving town anyway. They were letting him go. Why does he speak up? Because he was leaving, but the other Christians were staying. And if he had allowed a pattern to be set there of, oh, we can beat up, we can pick on, we can persecute all these Christians, things were going to be really rough on the believers he left behind. And so he said, no, we're not leaving town that way. You officials are going to come down, honor us, apologize to us, appeal to us, and maybe we won't go talk to the higher-up Roman officials, and uh, maybe we'll leave town when we're ready. And the Bible says those men got scared because they had been listening to those slave owners and to the crowd and not even thinking about the other side of things. What if these are Roman citizens? And they come and they beg, please leave the city peacefully. We're so sorry. And Paul and Silas say, okay, you've escorted us with, uh, with honor now. We're going to go on by Lydia's house where the new church is meeting, and then we'll be on our way. And that's how this story ends. You and I can trust Jesus wherever we are in life. If we're like that jailer and we don't see any hope, if we're like Paul and Silas or like that slave girl in some way, someone is controlling us, someone is trapping us, there is hope for the greatest freedom and that is spiritual freedom. Maybe if we're like Lydia and we say, you know, I love God and he's blessed my life, but there's something more. I want to know him more. You can trust him. Wherever you are in life, you can trust God because he'll be there for you. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the way that you display your miraculous power, your might in our lives. God, you work in ways we cannot see. You do things we cannot understand. And yet we know you love us and you care for us because you're always with us. 
God, I pray if there's a person here today who is thirsty for more, they want to know you more, God, that, that they would reach out in faith and draw closer to you. Father, if there's someone here today who's really been uh, trapped in their life, they've been shackled by burdens, by pressures, by controlling people, whatever it is, and, and they, they feel like there's no hope because they can't control any of this situation. Father, I pray they'll realize that, Father, the one thing that's most important is an inward peace and control that comes through you. And Father, maybe somebody here is like a jailer, and they've tried to do right, and it just turns out wrong. And try as they might, they encounter failure, and they encounter closed doors, and they say, is there really anything good ahead? God, may you help them to see that you have good things planned for them. Wherever we are in life, we can trust you. Help us to hold on to that today. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.